You're listening to the College Age Movement Podcast. What's going on, guys? Hope that you are having a fantastic start to your summer. We haven't been here for a couple weeks. We've uh, been off campus the last few weeks, but we are back with a new series entitled Seven Mile Miracle. Uh, Seven Mile Miracle. We're going to talk about the seven statements of Jesus from the cross. We'll spend some time in the Gospels of Luke, John, and Matthew, and, and I'd love to take full credit for the idea behind this sermon. This actually got some inspiration from a book that Stephen Furtick wrote years ago uh, entitled to Seven Mile Miracle, and so we're going to look at the seven statements of the cross over the next several weeks throughout the summer here, and we're going to start with the very first statement that Jesus makes from the cross. That's found in Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 34. It says, Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. So this is Jesus as he's being led to the cross. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. So the first point this week is a word of forgiveness, a word of forgiveness. The first words that Jesus speaks from the cross were about his people. The first words that Jesus speaks from the cross were about his people. Jesus had just gone through hell on earth. He was betrayed. He was rejected. He was beaten and then walked to the cross. And his first words are forgive them, forgive them for they know not what they do. For so many of us, we struggle with the idea that Jesus would be willing to forgive our brokenness. That's something that our human condition really, really causes us to struggle with. We use our imperfect human understanding of forgiveness and we place it up against our sin. We take our imperfect understanding. We we say, this is what forgiveness looks like. This is what I believe forgiveness looks like. And we, we, we frame it up against all of our worldly experience. And we go, wait, this makes absolutely no sense that Jesus could possibly forgive me. We've done too much. There's no way. But Jesus's first moments on the cross paint a perfectly clear picture. Even in the midst of impossible to explain suffering, he forgives his people. He forgives the children that are hanging him on the cross. In the middle of what you have deemed impossible to forgive, he forgives. Hear me. In the middle of what you have deemed impossible to forgive, he forgives. He forgives. The first thing that he said from the cross was forgive them. Forgive them. We have to be people who simultaneously live from a posture that that says, okay, I'm someone who needs forgiveness, but I'm also someone who's already been forgiven. That we would hold those two things in tension. We'd say, okay, I know I'm imperfect and I'm in desperate need of forgiveness, but I've already been forgiven as well. So I'm going to walk in power, understanding that I serve a God who is not unforgiving, but is forgiving. We are broken, yet still incredibly loved and incredibly useful. I think that's really important. I think that so many of us struggle with this idea that that forgiveness is available. But if we can get past that and we're like, okay, maybe I'm forgiven. Can we take that next step and say, well, I'm also useful. I'm not just forgiven, but I'm being, I'm being positioned by Jesus to let other people know that they're, they're forgiven, that they're loved, that there's, there's grace for them. There's mercy for them. We're not just forgiven. We're also positioned. So Jesus says, forgive them. Then he says, for, for, for they do not know what they are doing. 
for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus understood that the people who were playing a part in his crucifixion didn't fully understand exactly what was going on. That if everyone truly believed that Jesus was the Messiah, that probably wasn't happening, but they had been betrayed themselves. They had been confused. There are so many people who played a part in this, both Jews and Romans, like all these different things. And Jesus understood that they were playing a part in the forgiveness of all people for all time. But he also understood that they didn't know that they didn't have the capacity to understand exactly what they were doing. Jesus understands our imperfections. He, he understands our blind spots. He understands that we often don't know what it is that we are doing. And that's why it's important. And this is the second point that we understand that he is a patient father, not an impatient tyrant. He's a patient father, not an impatient tyrant. When we paint Jesus as a frustrated and unforgiving God, we are placing him in a box that's, that simply does not exist. Like, do I think that Jesus sometimes like sits in heaven or is playing a part in our lives and is shaking his head going like, what are they doing? Like I told them to do this. I told them this was the path. I told them this would bring human flourishing, but they're going that way. Like, yeah, I'm sure Jesus is constantly shaking his head going like, man, I feel like I laid it out and they're not loving people. I told them to love people and they're not loving people. Yeah. I'm sure that there's, there's some moments of, of head shakes and frustration, but that doesn't mean that he's impatient. It doesn't mean that he won't forgive us. He's always quick to forgive. So, If Jesus is unwilling to camp in unforgiveness, why do we have such a hard time stepping out of it? Why do we have such a hard time stepping out of forgiveness for ourselves? And how do we, why do we struggle so much with stepping out of forgiveness for other people as well? I remember I was like eight years old and me and my buddies did a lemonade stand. We made like a ton of money, like 12 bucks. It was awesome. It was freaking loaded. And we took all $12 down to the dollar store and we bought a hundred packs of water balloons. So if you do the math, that's 1,200 water balloons. And then we don't have, like, I was just, like, we did water balloons a couple weeks ago with my son. And he had the the water balloons that you attach to the hose, and it fills, like, 50 of them or 100 of them. And then you just pull one piece off, and all of them are, like, tied. That's cheating. No, like, when I was a kid, you had to individually fill these things up. So we had 1,200 of them in a hose and then the sink inside, and you break half of them. Whatever, that's just a rant. So we buy all of these water balloons, me and my buddies. My buddy had a trampoline, and we put him on the trampoline. It had a cage on it, and then I got called to dinner. And so I had to go home for dinner, and I was like, all right, guys, I'll be back, and then we're going to have this epic like water balloon trampoline water fight thing, and it was going to be great. And I go home, and I shovel dinner down, and I come back 20 minutes later. All the water balloons are popped. They had already done it. They did it without me, and I was so frustrated. And I ran home, and I cried, and I was angry, and... I think that's probably the first time I ever wanted to hit somebody. Um, and we we got to this point where um, I was I was so frustrated that I couldn't even look at them. And we were eight. So it was like 24 hours later and then we were best friends again. But I just ran into one of those guys at the grocery store like last week. And my first thought was the water balloons. Like 25 years later. And my first thought was those water balloons. I was camping in unforgiveness and I did not even know it. We have to be people who are willing to step out of our unforgiveness towards ourselves and towards other people. Can we do that? You know what another crazy thing is about this this idea of Jesus forgiving and this being the first statement from the cross? Is that he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. But sometimes we actually do know what we're doing, right? We are fully aware of our sin and brokenness, and we are fully aware that we are doing things that are outside the will of God. But I think that Jesus would say, Father, forgive them, even though they know exactly what they're doing. I think that he still sits there and says, Father, forgive them, even though they know exactly what they're doing. Give them time. We need to have patience. 
He's a loving God, a patient father, not an impatient tyrant. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13 says, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And then Philippians 3.13 appropriately says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. My prayer is that we'd be a community of people that follows his example, that we would forgive others quickly, that we would forgive ourselves quickly, that we would not stay in unforgiveness, but that we would be quick to forgive, that we would forget what is behind, that we would strain towards what is ahead, that we would forgive very, very quickly. The incredible thing about following Jesus is that while we're always going to be in need of forgiveness, we don't have to go very far to find it. There's no striving for forgiveness. There's just surrendering. It's not about going and finding forgiveness from Jesus. It's just about hitting your knees where you're at, saying like, oh my gosh, I messed up again. Jesus, please, please forgive me. Psalm chapter 32 verse 5 says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up, and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So a question, what are we leaving unacknowledged? What are we leaving unacknowledged? I want to ask this in two different ways. The first way would be, what are things that you haven't brought before the Lord yet? What are things that I have not brought before the Lord yet? We aren't hiding anything from Jesus. The, the, the fact of the matter is that he knows everything, but there's this, this participation that needs to happen in in this relationship where we bring things before the Lord. It's kind of one of those things like, I just want to make sure that you know, that I know, that you know what's going on in my life. He knows, but he still wants us to bring it to the foot of the cross, that we'd be people who acknowledge things in our lives. Most of us are unwilling to acknowledge our brokenness, though, because when we acknowledge it, then there's all of a sudden an expectation that we would actually fix that brokenness. See, when we acknowledge the brokenness, then we have to take steps towards fixing it. Here's the thing, though. The things that are messy and broken and that we want to leave unacknowledged, they, they might bring the facade of joy in the moment, but they are not sustainable. They might be short-term answers, but they will never lead to long-term gains, ever. We aren't meant to live in brokenness. brokenness. We are meant to live in forgiveness. To find forgiveness, we have to acknowledge brokenness, though. To find forgiveness, we have to acknowledge that brokenness. The second question I would ask is, what have we left unsettled with others? Like, who do you need to ask forgiveness from? Who do you need to ask for forgiveness from? I know as we're talking about forgiveness, you're thinking about a lot of people, as I would, that, that like need to ask me for forgiveness because that's our, our human nature is like, yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm a pretty swell human being. But there's some other people who need to ask for forgiveness, and I'll, maybe I'll extend that forgiveness to them. Our natural posture should be who do I need to go ask forgiveness from? There is somebody that we have said something to, even if it was minor, there might be minute things that, that are happening in our relationships. We're like, you know what? I'm going to ask for forgiveness. They might not even be holding that. They might That might not even be an offense for them, but you're like, hey, I said this to you the other day, or I've been treating you this way, and I just I just genuinely, I want to apologize. Like That is not how I want you to feel. That's not how I want to treat you. And they might say like, oh man, I didn't even... No worries at all. That's okay. You're bringing freedom to yourself by asking for forgiveness, but you're also giving them opportunities to, to walk through some of those things and actually address if maybe there is an offense there that they're holding deep down. We need to ask for forgiveness. We also need to extend forgiveness to other people. So who do we need to extend forgiveness to? Who are those people that you you are so certain that they need your forgiveness? Instead of waiting, like, yeah, when they ask for it, go give it freely. 
Go give some forgiveness. And, and hear me, forgiving and forgetting are not the same thing. We don't put ourselves in precarious situations and say, yeah, just hurt me again and again and again. No, we're not there. We're not masochists, but we need to be people who step into relationship and say, hey, I, I want to extend forgiveness to you. I want to extend grace to you, even if you don't ask for it. You see, forgiveness left unattended will only bring pain. Forgiveness brings freedom. When I'm unwilling to ask or extend forgiveness, ask for or extend forgiveness, the only person who is held captive is me. I'm the person who's thinking about how they need my forgiveness. I'm the person who thinks about I, how much I need their forgiveness. And it's just, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. I'm being held captive by those things. So when we seek forgiveness and when we extend forgiveness, we set ourselves free. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 22 says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who has sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. In some translations, it would say 70 times seven. Jesus was not trying to get to a specific number on this. This is the lesson, though. Freely given, so freely passed on. Freely given, so freely passed on. As Peter is walking with Jesus, the Messiah of the world, he's like, hey, listen, I've forgiven you. Go forgive other people. How many times? A lot. Just a lot. And if you get to 70 times 7 somehow, do more. Always be willing to forgive. Freely given, freely passed on. So question, are we allowing our offenses to be chains? Are we allowing our offenses to be chains? There's a path that Jesus is calling each one of us to walk down. That journey will be incredibly difficult if we are being held back by the chains of our offenses. Forgiveness, Jesus-like forgiveness, will serve as a universal chain breaker. And would we be people who lean into that? I had a relationship over like the last year um, of somebody who I love dearly, and there were just things that were going on in a relationship, and there were offenses held, and and I needed to ask for forgiveness, and I needed to extend forgiveness for things, and and conversations needed to be had, and what what I didn't fully understand is that my offenses and the things that that were offending that other person, and all those different things, they were they were causing, um, the lack of ability to have vision, the lack of ability to love other people really well, the lack of desire to, to get into intimate relationship, the, the lack of, like, it was affecting so many parts of my lives and I, I, my life. And I didn't fully understand it until we sat down and, and had a conversation and talked through a bunch of stuff. And 95% of it was stuff that we didn't even, it wasn't even a big deal. It was petty cash. But the 5% that we need to have conversations about, we did have conversation about. And all of a sudden, after that conversation, I was able to see other things and other relationships and other things. Like I was just like, okay, I need to go ask for forgiveness here before that gets bad. I need to extend forgiveness here before that gets bad. I need, I, I man, I'm not even, I'm not being wrapped up in in the emotion of this relationship and all the things that it's bringing to my life. Now I have the ability to have vision for for ministry and for my family and for all these different. Like it was just crazy how offenses can become chains so quickly. So what offenses do you have in your life, and are you allowing them to be chains? I want to land the plane this week by talking through a story in the gospel of Luke. And I was going to spark notes it, but uh, the apostle Luke definitely tells it better than I do. So Luke chapter 30 or chapter seven, verses 36 through 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. 
When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man was truly a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell her her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So th- there's so many different things that we could pull out of this story. The fact of the matter of, of how much this woman loves him and, and how Jesus didn't look at the sides of her debt that, that Jesus forgave just across the board, that there wasn't anybody who Jesus was unwilling to forgive. It's in response. Our, our response is where we get convoluted and confused. It's not about forgiveness. Forgiveness is always there. But I, I want to ask this for, this question. Are we focusing on the size of debt or are we focusing on the one who forgives the debts in the first place? Are we focusing on the size of the debt or the one who forgives the debts in the first place? One of the main struggles with our human condition is that we get wrapped up in all the specifics of our lives that are constantly changing instead of focusing on the one person who is, in fact, constant, and that is Jesus. Jesus doesn't care about the size of your debt. The cross was for all people, for all time, and for all sin. The question will never, ever be whether or not Jesus could possibly forgive us. The question is, will we accept it? Will we appreciate it? Will we be moved by it? Here's the thing. It it can't just be accepting. It can't just be appreciating. It also has to be applying. That once again, we would be people who appreciate and recognize the forgiveness that Jesus has extended to us in our own lives. And then we would apply it to the other relationships in our lives and be like, okay, I've been freely forgiven, fully forgiven. Even though I'm broken, even though I'm messy, I've been fully forgiven. Now I'm going to be somebody who's full of forgiveness myself. You see, accepting forgiveness gets us, gets us back on the path, but forgiving others helps us stay on it. It's like these two guardrails that keep us kind of in, in line with where Jesus is asking us to be. Two of the guardrails, right? There's, there's so many different things. But, but when we accept forgiveness, we get one foot on the path. And when we continue to uh, forgive other people, that's the other foot. And there are these guardrails who keep us moving towards the people that Jesus has asked us to be. We should be people who f- offensively forgive. Offensively, not defensively. That people would be blown away at how forgiving we are. And that would be done in joy, not reluctantly. That we wouldn't be reluctant people who forgive. But we would be forgiving in joy. That we would be freely, freely forgiving. We love because he first loved us. We forgive because he first forgave us. Thank you for listening to the College Age Movement podcast. College Age Movement's in-person gatherings meet Tuesday nights at 7, and we would love to have you there. If you are unable to join us in person, you can engage online at faithchapel.cc or follow us on our socials at collegeagemvmt.